Continuing with the Balugh al-Maram, we now reach the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu qal, Jaa rajlun ila al-Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam faqal, Halaktu ya Rasulullah, qal wa ma ahlakaka, qal waqa'atu ala mirati fi Ramadan, faqal hal tajidu ma tu'atiku bihi raqaba, قال لا قال فهل تستطيع أن تسوم شهرين متتابعين قال لا قال فهل تجد ما تطعم ستين مسكينا قال لا ثم جلس فأتي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعرق فيه ثمر فقال تصدق بهذا فقال آه على أفقر منا فما بين لابتيها أهل بيت أحوج إليه منا فضحك النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى بدت أنيابه ثم قال اذهب فأطعمه أهلك رواه سبعة واللفظ لمسلم بالنسبة إلى حديثنا وحديث أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه إساز that a man came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and he said I've destroyed myself O Messenger of Allah so the Prophet said, what has destroyed you? He said, I have had intercourse with my wife in Ramadan during the day. فقال, so the Prophet said, do you have any slave that you can free? He said, no. So the Prophet said, can you fast two months consecutively, day after day? He said, no. So the Prophet said, can you find 60 people to feed? 64 people to feed? He said, I can't. So he sat down. Then the Prophet ﷺ was given like a plate or a bowl of dates. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, then go and give charity with these dates. So he said, the man, is there anybody poorer in Medina than my family? There's no one in between the mountains of Medina poorer than us. We are in need of it more than anyone. So the Prophet laughed until his teeth became apparent. And he said to him, go and feed your family then. Go and feed your family with this. We'll come to the details of that now. So this hadith now, it's about one of the other things that breaks your fast. And this particular thing that breaks your fast is the intimate relations, the intercourse, between the husband and the wife. So in this hadith, this individual came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him that I've destroyed myself, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ said, what has destroyed you? He said, I have had intercourse during the day. So why did the man say that I have destroyed myself, ruin has come upon me. Because he knew that having intercourse during the day of Ramadan is something impermissible. He knew that he had ruined himself. He had caused this corruption upon himself by doing that. By having committed that act during the day of Ramadan. So when the Prophet ﷺ heard this from him, that he has committed this act, during the day of Ramadan, which is impermissible and not allowed whilst a person is fasting. So then the Prophet said to him, in that case, obviously now he has to do a kathara. He has to do something to expiate his sin, to make up for the sin that he's done. So the Prophet said to him, do you have any slave that you can free? Do you own any slaves yourself, for example, that you can free? Or, or is there a slave that you can buy and you can free? Do you have any other slave, any means of getting a slave that you can free? As a means of making up for the sin that you've done. Free a slave. He said, I can't. I don't have any slave. I can't buy any slave. I don't have a slave. The meaning of the hadith. That I don't have any slave to free. 
So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, as a second level, as a second stage, as a secondary act to be able to make up for this sin that he's done, meaning not make up, but to expiate, to, get, to expiate that sin that he's done. The Prophet said, ﷺ, can you fast two months consecutively? Can you fast two months consecutively? Again, the man said, I'm not able to do that, I can't. I can't fast two months in a row consecutively. So then as a third stage, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, in that case, are you able to feed 60 poor people? Are you able to feed 60 poor people? Again, the man said, even that, I can't do it. Even that, I'm not able to do it, I can't. And then the man sat down. He said, even that third option you've given me, I can't even do that. So he sat down. Then a bowl or a sack of dates was brought to the Prophet ﷺ. Some dates were brought to the Prophet ﷺ. And then the Prophet ﷺ said to the man, Give these dates in charity to expiate your sin. If you can't free a slave, you can't fast two months in a row consecutively, you can't feed 60 people, then at least take these dates and go give them in charity and that will be the expiation. Then the man said, he said that there is no one in between the two mountains of Medina, the two regions in which Medina is within. He said there is no one in between these regions, in this area who is poorer than my own family. Meaning, who am I supposed to go give these dates to as charity when my family, they are the poorest in all of this area. There is no one poorer than us. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, or rather then the Prophet ﷺ laughed. He laughed to the extent that his teeth were visible. His teeth were visible from the laughter. So when the Prophet ﷺ, he laughed in this way, because normally... Normally when the Prophet ﷺ used to laugh, his teeth would not become apparent. He would laugh and it was more like just a smile. That was the normal laugh of the Prophet ﷺ, that it was more like a smile only. But in this instance he laughed to the extent that the teeth were visible, which was not typical. So this was to indicate the, uh, the, the greater type of laughter from the Prophet ﷺ. Because he was shocked at the state of this man. He was surprised at the state of this man. He'd committed this sin, which he needed to expiate, meaning to like make up for. So the first thing he was supposed to do was free a slave. He said, I can't do it. Then after that, if he can't do that, he was supposed to fast two months in a row. He said, I can't even do that. If he can't do that, then he was supposed to feed 60 people. He said, I can't even do that. Then at the last stage, the Prophet said, then at least go and feed 60 people with these dates. Give these in charity. He said, even that I can't do, because my own family, they are the poorest from everyone. So the Prophet ﷺ began to laugh, that all of the options that he was given, still he's not able to do any of them. Even the last of them, he says, my own family is the poorest, who, who else am I supposed to go and give these dates to? So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, حيث جاء خائفا نعم حتى بدت أنيابه أنيابه متعجبا من هذا الرجل. So the Prophet's teeth they became apparent because of his shock and surprise at the state of this man. حيث جاء خائفا whereas originally this man had come very scared. The man who had committed this sin he knew he'd committed a sin. He had come to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in a state of fear. فَلَمَّا وَجَدَ الرِّفْقِ مِنَ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَالسُّهُولَ مِنَ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ طَمَعَ فَبَعْدَ أَنْ كَانَ خَائِفًا طَمَعَ فَهَذَا وَجْهُ تَعَجُّبِهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَقَالَ أَطْعِمْهُ أَهْلَكَ أَمَرَهُ أَنْ يَأْخُذَهُ لِأَهْلِ بَيْتِهِ لِأَنَّهُ مُحْتَاجٌ إِلَيْهِ So because originally the man had come in a state of being scared and frightened, but eventually when he found that the Prophet ﷺ was being gentle towards him, then he had a bit of hope that maybe he'll be able to find some solution. And so the Prophet ﷺ was surprised at his affair. So eventually when the man said that there's nobody poorer than my own family, the Prophet ﷺ said, in that case, take it and feed your own family with it. So this was this particular hadith. 
of the individual who committed intercourse during the day of Ramadan. He knew he'd committed a sin. He came to the Prophet ﷺ and said to him, I've ruined myself, I've destroyed myself. The Prophet ﷺ said, what has destroyed you? What has ruined you? He said, I've committed intercourse during the day of Ramadan. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, go free a slave. He said, I can't. So he said to him, fast two months in a row. He said, I can't. He said to him, fast or give 60 people food, 60 poor people. He said, I can't. Then the dates were brought to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, go and give these in charity. He said, who to? My own family are the poorest in this area. So the Prophet ﷺ laughed and said, in that case, go and feed your own family. So what are the issues and the lessons we can take from this hadith? Firstly, المسألة الأولى أن الجماع يبطل الصيام وهذا بالكتاب والسنة والإجماع أما الكتاب ففي قوله تعالى فالآن باشروهن وابتغوا ما كتب الله لكم وكلوا واشربوا حتى يتبين لكم الخيط الأبيض من الخيط الأسود من الفجر ثم أتموا الصيام إلى الليل فدل على أن المسلم له أن يجامع في الليل ما بين فطره بعد غروب الشمس إلى يطلع الفجر فالمدة كلها مجال للأكل والشرب والجماع فبالإجماع أن الجماع يفسد الصيام so by consensus of the scholars, by the evidence of the Qur'an, the evidence of the sunnah, and consensus of the scholars, intercourse breaks the fast of a person. Intercourse breaks the fast of a person. And that is by the evidence of the Qur'an. In the Qur'an it says, Now you can have the relations and seek that which Allah has prescribed for you. And eat and drink until the fajr it becomes clear to you. Then after that, when the fajr appears... Fast up until the night, until the sunset. So the ayah indicates that eating and drinking and intercourse, all of that is permissible in the night. After sunset, up until fajr. It's permissible. But once the fajr comes about, the fasting stops now, it starts, يعني, you have to stop eating, and up until the setting of the sun, none of those activities are allowed anymore. So that is the first issue. Intercourse is an act that breaks the fast by evidence of the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and consensus of the scholars. Al-Mas'ala al-Thaniya. Fihi al-Ruju' ila ahli al-ilm lil-fatwa. Fahada jaa yastafti al-Nabi sallam, fa'ala al-jahil an yas'ala ahli al-ilm, idha ma ashkala alayhi amrun min umuri deenih. The second issue here is that a person who doesn't have knowledge of something, when you don't know what to do, when you've committed some error or... There's some issue within your religion, you want to find out what to do, then you return back to the people of knowledge. That's as Allah stated in the Quran, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. So here this man, when he committed this error, he didn't know what to do. So he went to the Prophet ﷺ to ask him to seek the fatwa. Ya Rasulullah, I've done this act, what do I do now? What's upon me? He went to seek the knowledge from the Messenger of Allah. And that's what a person does when you are unsure of something you have done something or you wish to do something, then you return back to the people of knowledge to seek the knowledge of what to do in that situation. Al-Mas'alatu al-Thalitha fi hadha al-Hadith dalala ala husni khuluqihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa rifqihi bin nas fa'innahum lam yu'annif hadha al-rajul wa lam yushadid alayhi bal istakbalahu istakbalan rafiqan layyinan wa istama'a li su'alih Within the hadith is an evidence about the good manners and the characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ. Because when this individual came to him, even though he'd committed this error, this sin, the Prophet ﷺ didn't become harsh on him and severe on him. Rather, he behaved with him in a gentle and good way. And he asked him what the problem was and he answered to his question and he told him what to do in a gentle and good way. So that shows the good manners and the characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ. And no doubt, as the scholars have said, goodness in your behavior and manners, it's a way of giving da'wah. And sometimes, softness and gentleness and kindness, it is good and it is beneficial and it brings about goodness and being able to spread da'wah. And in other circumstances with certain people, you may have to use harshness and severity. But everything has its correct place. If you start using harshness out of its place, it's wrong. If you start using, using softness and gentleness in a place, in a circumstance when it's not suitable, then it's wrong. 
So everything within its correct place. That's what they say, Al-Hikmah. وَضْعُ الشَّيْفِ مَكَانِهِ Hikmah, wisdom, is that you put everything in its correct place. So here the Prophet ﷺ demonstrated good manners and gentleness to this individual who came asking for the fatwa, what do I do? I've made this error, tell me what I'm supposed to do now. المسألة الرابعة في الحديث دليل على أن الجماع في نهار رمضان يوجب الكفارة المغلظة. The hadith indicates that an individual who commits intercourse during the day of Ramadan upon him is the heavy form of expiation. He has to do the heavy acts, the serious acts to expiate his sin, to make up for this error that he's done. And that is, either to free a slave, maybe you yourself have a slave, so you free one of them, or you go buy a slave and so that he becomes free. And this particular slave must be a believer. فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٍ In Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 92, that the slave that you free must be a believing slave, must be a Muslim slave, as mentioned in the Qur'an. فَإِن لَمْ يَجِدْ فَإِنَّهُ يَسُومُ شَهْرَيْنِ مُتَتَابِعَيْنِ So if the person has committed this sin of intercourse and he's not able to free a slave, he can't find anyone, then he is supposed to fast two months in a row consecutively. فَإِن لَمْ يَسْتَطِعُ السِّيَامِ if he's not able to do that, it's out of his capability to be able to fast two months consecutively. Then he is to feed 60 masakin, 60 poor people, for every one of them half of the sa'a, half of the, uh, that quantity, that quantity that is mentioned. Al-Mas'ala al khamisa في الحديث دليل على أن كفارة على أن كفارة الجماع في نهار رمضان على الترتيب فلا يجوز له أن يتنازل من الخصلة الأولى إلى الثانية إلا إذا عجز عن الأولى وأن وأن ذلك ليس على التخير وإنما هو على الترتيب. So the next issue is that when a person commits that intercourse during the day of Ramadan. There are three things you can do. Free a slave, fast two months in a row, or feed 60 poor people. When a person commits that sin, he doesn't have a choice which one he can do. It's not like he can pick. It's not like he can say, I'll just fast two months in a row, or I'll go and feed 60 people. He doesn't have a choice. The first thing he must do is try to free a slave. Must try to free a slave. If he can't do that, then he can go to the next option, which is fasting two months. If he can't do that, then he can go to the third option of feeding 60 people. But he can't just choose, he can't just say straight away, I'll feed 60 people. Or straight away, forget the slave, I can't be bothered, I'll just go and fast two months. You can't. You have to do it in that order. Al-Mas'ala al-Sadisa fi al-Hadith dalilun ala annahu man la yastati'u al-kafara fa'innaha tasqutu anhu لِأَنَّ النَّبِيَ سَلَّمَ لَمْ يَأْمُرْهُ بِالتَّكْفِيرِ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ The hadith indicates that a person who's not able to do any of that, he's not able to free a slave, he's not able to fast two months consecutively, he's not able to give the food to the 60 poor people. If he's not able to do any of that, then there is nothing upon him. That expiation is dropped. Because in this hadith we saw that the individual, when he couldn't do any of that, the expiation, it was dropped. وَهَذَا مَذْهَبُ الْحَنَابِلَىٰ أَنَّهُ إِذَا لَمْ يَجِدَ الْخِسَالَ الثَّلَاثِ سَقَطَتْ And this is the methodology of the Hanbali madhab, that if you cannot do any of those three, then it has fallen from you, there's nothing upon you after that. Because the Prophet didn't command that individual to do any expiation after that. That's one opinion. If you can't do any of those three, then there's nothing upon you. The second opinion is, أَنَّهَا لَا تَسْقُطُ وَإِنَّمَا تَبْقَى فِي ذِمَّتِهِ The second opinion is that if a person cannot do any of those three, then okay, at that moment in time, none of those three are available to him, he can't do it. But the responsibility remains upon his shoulders. The responsibility still remains upon his shoulders. 
Because this is the religion of Allah. So it remains upon his shoulders up until he is able to do one of those things. So maybe when he commits that sin of intercourse at that moment in time, that particular stage in his life, he's not able to find a slave to free, he's not able to fast two months in a row, he's not able to feed 60 people, okay. If he can't at that moment in time, then he can't. But the responsibility remains upon his shoulders. It looms over him. The burden is still there. It stays and it remains up until he can do that. So maybe six months later, he finds the ability to free a slave. So he must do it. Or maybe six months later, he finds that his health has improved and he can fast two months in a row. So he must do it. Or six months later, he finds that he's able to feed 60 people. Then he must do it. Whenever the ability returns to him to be able to do one of those three, then he must do it. So the responsibility remains upon him. That's the second opinion. Some of the people they say, "Inna هذا الرجل كفر كفر عنه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بهذا ولما كان فقيرا صرفه إليه من باب الكفارة." Some of the scholars said. That this individual, he actually did make an expiation. Which was what? The feeding of his own family, the dates. The dates at the end. They say the Prophet ﷺ gave him that option in his situation. That take the dates and feed your family. They say that was an expiation. But in any case, you have those two opinions. That if you can't do any of those three, one opinion is that's it, it's finished. If you can't do any of the three, then the issue is dead, it's finished. There's no more expiation upon you if you can't do it. The second opinion though says, okay, if you can't do it, then at that moment in time, you can't do it. But then afterwards, whenever you do find the ability, the responsibility remains. Whenever you do find the, uh, the ability, then you must do it. That's the two opinions on that. The next issue in this hadith that we benefit also, أَنَّهُ يَجُوزُ أَنْ يَتَحَمَّلَ الْكَفَّارَ غَيْرُ مَنْ وَجَبَتْ عَلَيْهِ بِإِذْنِهِ وَإِقْرَارِهِ أَنَّهُ يَجُوزُ أَنْ يَتَحَمَّلَ الْكَفَّارَ غَيْرُ مَنْ وَجَبَتْ عَلَيْهِ بِإِذْنِهِ وَإِقْرَارِهِ فَالرَّسُولُ تَحَمَّلَ هَذِهِ الْكَفَّارَ وَلَمَّا كَانَ الرَّجُلُ مُحْتَاجًا إِلَيْهَا صَرَفَهَا إِلَيْهِ لِأَنَّهُ مُسْتَحِقٌّ فَإِذَا تَحَمَّلَ الْكَفَّارَ شَخْصٌ آخَرُ وَالْمُتَحَمِّلُ عَنْهُ مُسْتَحِقٌّ لَهَا جاز صرفها إليه أما إذا أداها وهو أداها هو عن نفسه فلا يجوز له أن يصرفها لنفسه. The other issue in this hadith is that it is permissible for an individual to, in essence, expiate upon himself if that is permissible for him in that situation. Here it says, لَمَّا كَانَ الرَّجُلُ مُحْتَاجًا إِلَيْهَا When that particular individual was in need himself, he was in need himself, then the Prophet ﷺ who was now doing the expiation for him, he gave him the dates. He gave him those dates. He was doing the expiation for him. But when that man said that there's nobody else poorer than myself, then it was allowed for himself to take those dates. This is different to if a person comes along now and says that I'm going to do the expiation upon myself anyway. There are other people, but I'll expiate upon myself. I'll feed myself, my own family. You can't do that. But here, because the Prophet ﷺ was doing it on behalf of him, giving him the dates, when the man said there's nobody else poorer than me, then the Prophet ﷺ said, in that case, in that case, then you can go and take it to your own family. So that is also mentioned within the hadith. There's another issue. Istadalla بعض العلماء على أن الكفارة لا تجب إلا على المتعمد وأما الناس والجاهل فإنه لا يفسد صومه. Some of the scholars said that intercourse only breaks your fast if somebody does it purposely. If somebody intentionally does that intercourse, then it breaks your fast and the kafara is upon that person then. The expiation, those three stages are upon that person. If somebody forgets 
Like we talked about eating and drinking accidentally. Somebody accidentally forgets and does that act. And then only afterwards remembers we're fasting today. So if somebody does it accidentally or somebody does it because he's ignorant and he doesn't know that this is haram. He does it because he's ignorant. He doesn't know this breaks your fast and there's expiation upon you. So he does it thinking it's okay. Or somebody knows it's wrong but forgetfully does it. The scholar said those two types of people, the one who forgetfully does it or the one who is ignorant and he doesn't know it's wrong, then if they do it, their fast doesn't break and the expiation isn't upon them. Their fast doesn't break and the expiation isn't upon them. إِذَا جَامَعَ وَهُوَ نَاسٍ لِصِيَامِهِ أَوْ جَاهِلٌ بِالْحُكَمِ قَالُوا فَإِنَّهُ لَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ وَلَا يُفْسِدُ صِيَامَهِ وَلَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ كَفَّارًا So they said, if he was to have intercourse because he forgot he's fasting, or because he was ignorant of the ruling that intercourse is not allowed, then there is no sin upon him and his fast is not broken and there is no expiation upon him. Why? The ayah in the Qur'an, رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِن نَسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا Oh, our Lord, do not hold us accountable if we forget or we make a mistake, i.e. we are ignorant of the affair. عُفْيَ لِلْأُمَّ عَنِ الْخَطَى وَالنِّسْيَانِ This nation has been forgiven for forgetfulness or for ignorance and making a mistake or an error upon ignorance. وَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ هَذَا الرَّجُلُ عَالِمٌ بِالْحُكَمِ This hadith indicates though the man was not ignorant. The hadith indicates that the man knew the ruling. He knew that if you have intercourse, it breaks your fast. How do we know? He went to the Prophet and said, What? Yeah, but how do we know that he knew that it was wrong? He said, Halaktu ya Rasulullah. He said to the Prophet, before that, when he said, I've ruined myself, I've destroyed myself. Why was he saying to the Prophet I've ruined myself, I've destroyed myself? Because he knew already that the intercourse he'd done was wrong and he wasn't supposed to do it. That's why the first thing he said to the Prophet was, I've ruined myself, I've destroyed myself, I've brought ruin upon myself. Why? Because he knew the act he'd done was wrong. So this individual wasn't ignorant. It's not like we can say that this person did that and didn't know what the ruling was. He knew the ruling was, it's haram and impermissible to do so. So this individual was not a jahil. He knew about the ruling. That's why the scholar said that this individual, the Prophet ﷺ, told him to do the expiation. But had he been ignorant of the ruling and he didn't know that intercourse breaks your fast, the scholar said in that case he wouldn't have broken his fast and there wouldn't have been expiation upon him. But this individual, he knew. And that's why the fast broke and the expiation was upon him. That's one opinion. The second opinion says, قَالُوا تَجِبُ مُطْلَقًا عَلَى الْعَامِدِ وَالنَّاسِ وَالْجَاهِلِ They said, if a person commits intercourse during the day of Ramadan, whether it is intentional, whether it is upon knowledge, whether it is upon forgetfulness, whether it is upon ignorance, irrelevant. Any of those situations, if he commits intercourse, then it is upon him. The kafara, the expiation is upon him. Even if he didn't know the ruling, even if he forgot, whatever the circumstance. If he commits intercourse, the expiation is upon him. That's the second opinion. لِأَنَّ الرَّسُولَ سَأَسَلَّمْ لَمْ يَسْتَفْسِلْ مِنْ هَذَا الرَّجُلْ لَمْ يَسْتَفْسِلْ لَمْ يَقُلْ هَلْ أَنْتَ جَاهِلْ هَلْ أَنْتَ نَاسٍ Why did some of the scholars say that anyone who commits intercourse, whether they were forgetful or not, whether they knew about the ruling or not, they have to do the expiation? Because in this hadith, when the man came to the Prophet ﷺ, and he said to him that I've committed this intercourse, could it be that this man had committed the intercourse because he forgot he was fasting? It could be. But we don't know. The Prophet ﷺ didn't ask him that. Why didn't the Prophet ﷺ ask him that? The fact that the Prophet ﷺ didn't ask this piece of information from the man, did you do that knowingly or was it because you forgot? The Prophet didn't ask about that. And the fact that he didn't ask about it indicates that it's not relevant. It's not relevant. Whether he did it because he was doing it on purpose or he did it because he forgot is irrelevant. 
the expiation is still upon him. That's why the Prophet ﷺ didn't ask about it. Had it been relevant that if he did it forgetfully, then there wouldn't have been an expiation, the Prophet ﷺ would have asked him there and then. He would have asked him first, did you do it forgetfully or intentionally? That would have been asked. The fact that the Prophet ﷺ didn't ask that and just told him straight away, that you have to do this expiation indicates that the fact is irrelevant, whether he did it purposely or it was forgetfulness. فَتَرْكُ الْإِسْتِفْسَالِ فِي مَقَامِ الْإِحْتِمَالِ يَنْزِلُ أَوْ يُنَزَّلُ مَنْزِلَةَ الْعُمُومِ فِي الْمَقَامِ فِي الْمَقَالِ So leaving off this inquiry at the time when there was a possibility. Was there not a possibility that the man might have done it forgetfully? There was a possibility. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't inquire about that possibility. So that now indicates that the ruling is a general ruling, whether it was out of forgetfulness or intentionally. Irrelevant. The ruling is general to all circumstances. That's why some of the scholars therefore said that if you commit intercourse, even if you forgot you were fasting, then it's still upon you the expiation. So it's not the same as eating and drinking. Eating and drinking, if you do it forgetfully, there's nothing upon you and the fast doesn't break. But intercourse, they said, based upon this evidence that the Prophet didn't inquire about that, therefore indicating it's not relevant. So even if you do it forgetfully, they said there's expiation upon you. Now, so they are the two opinions. There are the two opinions. The first opinion that it is only upon, the expiation is only upon the one who did it upon knowledge. He knew what he was doing. He knew the ruling. And they took that because, or they took that evidence from the statement of the man where he said, I've ruined myself, I've destroyed myself. He only said that because he knew what he'd done. So he was upon knowledge that it's haram. So they said, therefore, based upon that hadith, somebody else who is in that same circumstance, i.e. does it knowledgeably, then upon him is expiation. And therefore somebody who isn't in that circumstance, i.e. does it upon ignorance, there's no expiation. That's one opinion. The second opinion, the scholar said, no. Whether you do it forgetfully, remembering, uh, intentionally, not, all of that is expiation because the Prophet ﷺ didn't inquire about that. So therefore indicating it's irrelevant. That's the issue about intercourse during the day of Ramadan. So that's cleared up now. That's cleared up. The next hadith. وَعَنْ عَائِشَةَ وَأُمِّ سَلَمَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُمَا أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَانَ يُسْبِحُ جُنُبًا مِنْ جِمَاعٍ ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلُ وَيَسُومُ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ وَزَادَ مُسْلِمْ فِي حَدِيثِ أُمِّ سَلَمَ in this hadith, in this hadith, now the hadith of Aisha and Umm Salama radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, they said that the Prophet would wake up during the days of Ramadan, wake up in the morning during the days of Ramadan, and he would be in a state of ritual impurity, i.e., from a state of having uh, intercourse, from a state of having intercourse and not having made ghusl yet. Sometimes the Prophet ﷺ used to wake up in the morning, i.e. after the time of suhoor, the fast had started now. And still the Prophet ﷺ hadn't made the ghusl yet. The time of the fast had begun. And from the intercourse of the previous night, the Prophet ﷺ hadn't made ghusl yet. But the time of the fast had now started. Then, after the time of the fast had started, the Prophet ﷺ would make the ghusl and then obviously go and pray fajr. So everybody understands the scenario. An individual has intercourse. Everybody understands the scenario that an individual has intercourse during the night. Then in the morning, maybe he gets up, has the suhoor, the time starts. The time to stop eating, the adhan, the fast, it begins. He still hasn't made ghusl yet. 
Then he goes and makes the ghusl just before the prayer, a few minutes before the prayer, and goes and prays. Meaning the fast had started already, and he was still in a state of impurity. What's the ruling on that situation? Here in this hadith, Aisha and Umm Salama radiallahu anhumah say that the Prophet used to do that. And then afterwards, when the fast had started, he would make the ghusl and then go. And in one narration he says, that those days when he did that, he never used to make them up afterwards. So what's the rulings to be taken from here? The Shaykh says, هذا الحديث يدل على أنه يصح من صائم يسوم أن يسوم وعليه الجناب إلى طلوع الفجر إذا طلع عليه الفجر وهو لم يغتسل فإنه ينوي الصيام وصيامه صحيح يغتسل بعد ذلك لهذا الحديث أن النبي صلى الله كان يدركه الصبح أي طلوع الفجر في رمضان وهو جنب ثم يسوم سلم ثم يغتسل الصلاة بعد الفجر فهذا يدل على انعقاد الصيام من الجنب ويأخذ هذا من الإشارة من قوله تعالى فالآن باشروهن وابتغوا ما كتب الله لكم The hadith therefore indicates that a person who wakes up and he is in a state of impurity and the fast starts his fast is correct even if he is in a state of impurity when the time for the fast starts his fast is okay afterwards he goes and makes the ghusl and prays because like we said, there's a time between stopping the eating and the prayer, there's a time. So he ends up making a ghusl after the fast has started. The sheikh says, the fast is okay. It's correct. You don't have to make that up afterwards because the Prophet did it. In this narration, we've been told he did that, which therefore indicates it's permissible. أن يصبح الإنسان جنوبا وهذا الحديث صريح مع دلالة الإشارة من الآية الكريمة فدل على أن نية الصيام لا يشترط لها الطهارة فلو صام وهو جنوب يعني عقد الصيام وهو جنوب صح صيامه وإنما الطهارة تشترط للصلاة So it is not a condition for a person to be upon purity to begin his fasting Whereas the prayer to pray the Fajr prayer obviously you must have made the Ghusl to be able to do so. You can't pray the Fajr prayer upon impurity. Ghusl must be done for the prayer, obviously. The wudu must be made, obviously. But to begin fasting, it is not a condition you must be upon purity. You can be upon a state of impurity from intercourse and start the fast, and then afterwards make the ghusl and go for the prayer. That is permissible. كَمَا يَدُلُّ الْحَدِيثَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْجُنُبِ يَجُوزُ لَهُ أَنْ يَنَامَ مِنْ غَيْرِ اِخْتِسَالِ أَنَّ الْجُنُبِ يَجُوزُ لَهُ أَنْ يَنَامُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَابَ مِنْ غَيْرِ اِخْتِسَالِ ولكن كونه يغتسل أو يتوضى قبل النوم أفضل ولكن لا يجب عليه ذلك فلو نام عليه جناب إلى طريق الفجر وهذا أمر جائز The hadith also indicates that if a person was to have intercourse and be in a state of impurity he is allowed to go to sleep upon that state and then have the ghusl in the morning at fajr time before the prayer it's permissible even though it's better that if an individual has intercourse he has the ghusl before going to sleep or at the very least goes and makes wudu before going to sleep. But if a person didn't do that and just went to sleep and just got up at the time of fajr then and made the ghusl and wudu, it's still permissible and it's okay. That is the issue of the intercourse and waking up on a state of impurity. The next hadith, hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. And in fact, it is the final hadith of this particular section of fasting. Then the other sections of fasting are going to begin. This is part A from the section of fasting. And Aisha radiallahu anha anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal man mata wa alayhi sayam sama anhu waliyuhu muttafaqun alayhi. Aisha radiallahu anha says that whoever dies and there are fasts which are still upon him he has fasts still left to make up, then the guardian of that person, the next of kin of that person, makes them up for him. Hadith of Al-Bukhari and Muslim. What does this mean? We've already mentioned that for certain people, they don't have to fast. They can miss their fasts. Like the traveler. Like the ill person. Like the woman who is menstruating. Like the woman who is in postnatal bleeding. All of those types of people, 
the traveler, the one who is ill temporarily and is going to get better afterwards, the menstruating woman, obviously her period will finish at some point, the postnatal bleeding woman, which will finish at some point. These four types, they are allowed to miss the fast during their traveling or during their illness or during their menstruation or during their postnatal bleeding. Then afterwards they have to do it again, make them up. Once the traveling is finished, he's back, he has to make it up. Once his illness is finished, he's healthy again, he has to make it up. Once the menstruation is finished, she has to make it up afterwards. Once the postnatal bleeding is finished, she has to make it up afterwards. So these types of people, they have to make up these fasts. However, imagine now somebody went on a journey in Ramadan and missed a few days. Missed two or three days. Or somebody got ill and missed two or three days. Or a woman was menstruating for a few days. Or a woman was in postnatal bleeding for a few, na- few days. And then after Ramadan, they all have to make this up. But after Ramadan, they die. Before being able to make those days up. So a traveler goes and travels three days. On the day of Eid, he dies. So he hasn't made up those three days that he needed to make up. They were obligatory upon him to make up those three days. Now what's the ruling upon that? Uh, Then the ruling upon that is that the next of kin, the guardian of that individual must make up those fasts on his behalf. فَإِنَّ وَلِيَّهُ وَهُوَ قَرِيبُهُ يَسُومُ عَنْهُ His next of kin, his guardian, must make up those fasts on his behalf. وَهَذَا فِي غَايَةِ الْحِكْمَةِ And this is of extreme wisdom in the legislation, the Shaykh says. لِأَنَّ قَرِيبَهُ يَرِثُهُ Because the next of kin of that individual will inherit from that person. For example, the son of a father. The son will inherit from his father when the father dies. So it is only suitable and befitting that the next of kin, like the son for example, makes up the fasts for his father. Because afterwards he's going to inherit from him anyway. So it's very suitable and wise of the sharia to do this. So an individual who has fasting upon him, whether it is obligatory fasts from Ramadan, or maybe a person made a vow. I vow that I'm going to fast five days next month, but he dies before next month comes. He's made the vow now. The fasting is obligatory upon him. So then somebody makes those fasts up for him on his behalf. His next of kin, his relative. There is a difference of opinion on this issue. And there are two opinions. The first opinion on this issue is, أَنَّ مَنْ مَاتَوْ عَلَيْهِ سِيَامْ وَاجِبٌ يَتَحَمَّلُهُ وَلِيُّهُ سَوَاءً كَانَ قَضَاءً مِنْ رَمَضَانَ أَوْ سِيَامُ كَفَّارًا أَوْ سِيَامُ النَّظَرَ يَسُومُ عَنْهُ وَلِيُّهُ أَيْ قَرِيبُهُ The first opinion is that this is a general issue. That if somebody has some fasts that you need to make up, whether those fasts are obligatory ones from Ramadan, or they are a fasts that he has made obligatory upon himself through vowing, any type of those fasts, then a person, or even kafara, maybe somebody was doing the two months consecutively for having made intercourse, and he died before he finished. That's obligatory. Any types of these fasts, the general statement, the first opinion is that the guardian or the next of kin makes them up. That is because of the narration, لَمَّا جَاءَتِ امْرَأَةٌ إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم تَسْأَلُهُ أَنَّ أُمَّهَا مَاتَتْ وَأَنَّهَا عَلِهَا سَيَامَ أَتَقْضِي عَنْهَا قَالْ أَرَأَيْتِ لَوْ كَانَ عَلَى أُمِّكِ دَيْنَ أَكُنْتِ قَضَيْتِهِ قَالَتْ نَعَمْ قَالْ فَاللَّهُ أَحَقُّ أَنْ يُقْضَى There's a hadith in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, where a woman came to the Prophet وسلم, and she said to him, my mother died and there were some fasts upon her still. Shall I make them up? The Prophet said, if there was a loan upon her, a debt, would you have covered that debt for her after her death? She said, of course. So she says, or the Prophet said to her, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more deserving that you fulfill that debt. This woman was in debt to Allah. Those fasts, that's a debt that you have to Allah. So the Prophet said, if you were going to make up her debt of wealth to other people, the debt she had to Allah is more deserving to be made up. So, so cover those fasts and do those fasts on her behalf. So this is the evidence of scholars they used to say. 
that a person, the next of kin, must make up the fasts for somebody who dies, whatever types they are, whether they are obligatory ones or they are ones that that person vowed upon himself. The second opinion, أَنَّمَا وَجَبَ بِأَصْلِ الشَّرْعِ لَا يُصَامُ لَا تَدْخُلُهُ النِّيَابَ مِثْلُ الصَّلَاةِ كَمَا أَنَّ الصَّلَاةَ لَا تَدْخُلُهَا النِّيَابَةِ لِأَنَّهَا عَمَلٌ بَدَنِي فَكَذَلِكَ الصِّيَامُ عَمَلٌ بَدَنِي لَا تَدْخُلُهُ النِّيَابَةِ هَذَا مَا وَجَبَ بِأَصْلِ الشَّرْعِ فَلَا يُقْضَى عَنِ الْمَيِّتِ مَا عَلَيْهِ مِنْ رَمَضَانِ لِأَنَّ هَذَا لَا تَدْخُلُهُ النِّيَابَةِ The second opinion says that there is a differentiation between fasts that are obligatory by the origin of the legislation of Islam and those fasts that are obligatory as a secondary means. What fasts are obligatory by the origin of the legislation? Ramadan. They are obligatory in the fundamental, the rukan of the Islam. They are obligatory. Those ones which are obligatory by the fundamental of the religion, the second opinion says, if a person dies and has some of those left to make up, then they can not be made up on his behalf. Because they say, those types of worships which are obligatory by the basis of the religion, you can't have substitution in them. For example, Dhuhr prayer, Asr prayer, Maghrib prayer. Nobody can pray that on your behalf. You can't say to somebody, I can't be bothered to go and pray today, go and pray Dhuhr, and when you finish, pray another four for me as well. It's not possible. You can't pray on behalf of anyone else because prayer is something which is established by the foundation and the basis of this religion. So fasting which is the type which is based upon the fundamental of the religion like Ramadan, then that type of fasting the scholars say cannot be made up. Because that type of fasting you cannot have substitution just like the prayer. You can't have somebody substitute for you on your behalf for the prayer. You can't have somebody substitute for you on your behalf for those types of obligatory fundamental fasts. وَلَكِنْ إِنْ كَانَ لَهُ تَرِكَ فَإِنَّهُ يُطْعَمُ عَنْهُ عَنْ كُلِّ يَوْمٍ مِسْكِينَ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ تَرِكَ وَأَرَادَ أَحَدٌ مِنْ أَقَارِبِهِ أَوْ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ أَنْ يُطْعِمَ عَنْهُ فَحَسَنٌ وَهُوَ إِخْتِيَارُ شَيْخُ وَهُوَ إِخْتِيَارُ شَيْخُ تَقِيَ الدِّينِ شَيْخُ الْإِسْلَامِ بْنِ تَيْمِيَةِ وَابْنِ الْقَيِّمِ However they say that even though those fasts which are the obligatory fundamental fasts like Ramadan, they can't be made up because you can't substitute anyone for them. They say if somebody dies and has those ones to make up, you can't make them up. But what you should do is, if a person dies, he leaves behind wealth, then from that wealth that he leaves behind, take some of it to feed the masakin. From the wealth that he leaves behind, the inheritance, take some of that, some of that wealth and feed the poor people. Do that. And if he has left behind no wealth, he was a poor person in poverty, he left behind nothing on his death, he died and left behind no wealth. Then if some of his relatives and his next of kin want to feed the poor people from their own money on his behalf, they can do that. That's what some of the scholars say, like Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ibn Qayyim, that those fasts which are obligatory by the source of this religion, like Ramadan, you can't substitute for them. You can't make them up on behalf of someone. With those ones, take something from his wealth after he dies and feed the people. If he has nothing, you can do it from your own wealth and feed the people. That is the second opinion. So the first opinion was that whichever type of fasting it is, if it was upon him when he died, you must make it up. Whatever type of fasting it was. The second opinion is, ah, so the first opinion was that any type of fasting is obligatory uh, to be made up. The second opinion was that they differentiated between the fasts that are from the fundamental and source of the religion and fasts that are not. For example, somebody vows to make a fast obligatory upon himself. Somebody says, I vow I'm going to fast on this particular day. That particular day, if it's outside of Ramadan and there was nothing else upon him, then was it obligatory for him to do that? 
He made it obligatory upon himself. He vowed it upon himself to fast that day. So that isn't something obligatory from the source of the religion. He made it obligatory upon himself. So they differentiate. They say the ones which were originally from the source of the religion, like Ramadan, they can't be made up by anyone else. That's the second opinion. And they use some ahadith. They use some ahadith to show this. There's one narration in Sahih al-Bukhari. They say that the hadith where the woman came to the Prophet ﷺ and she said, my mother died and there was some fasting left upon her. And the Prophet told her to make it up and Allah is more deserving of that debt to him. They say in some narrations that woman went to the Prophet ﷺ and said to him, that my mother died and there was some fasting upon her, which was fasting of vowing. So they say there's a wording which clarifies that it wasn't fasting from the source of the religion. It was the fasting of vowing and that's what the hadith meant. The Prophet ﷺ said, yes, make that up. Because that is vowed fasts. Fasts that you have made for yourself, not from the source of the religion. And that is why they specified the narrations. They said this part of the narration specifies this issue. That woman said it was vowing fasts. Not just generally any type of fasting. So they said that ruling must be kept to just the fasting which is not from the fundamental and the origin of the sharia. Like vowing. You vow upon yourself. That's you making it obligatory upon yourself. The religion didn't make that obligatory upon you. So those ones can be made up. Somebody dies having vowed a fast and they didn't do it, then you can make it up for them. But somebody who had fasts left from the source of the religion, the Ramadan, obligatory, then they cannot be made up. Instead, you feed the people on their behalf. From their own wealth, if you can't, then you can do it from your wealth. That is the issue of the fasting and making it up for the people who die. And you see these two opinions on this particular issue. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah takes the second one, that you feed on behalf of that person who dies from his own wealth for the fasts that he missed. And if he can't from his wealth, he has nothing from your own wealth, he can do that. That is the end of that section. And next week, inshallah, we'll begin. Still in the chapter of fasting, but now, Bab The chapter concerning the supererogatory fasts and the prohibitions within fasting. That will begin with next week inshallah talking about the different optional fasts that are available that you can do, the different sunnah types of fasts you can do, and the types of fasting which is prohibited for you to do. That inshallah will begin with next week.